The Poison Song, Book One, by Briston Zell. It was beginning again. Even though everything seemed serene, the last embers crackling in the hearth, young servant girl and her child slumbering in a chair by the door, a tapestry half-finished against the wall, waiting to be completed tomorrow. One of the moons visible through a milky cloud outside the window, a lone bird out of sight in the rafters, cooing placidly. Tay heard the first chords of the song strike dissonantly somewhere far away. The bird in the rafters croaked and took flight through the window. The baby in the girl's arms woke and began to scream. The song swelled in intensity, yet still remained subtle and stately in tempo. The movement of everything seemed to take on the rhythm of the music as if strange choreography had been staged. The girl rising to the window, the clouds reflecting back red from the inferno below, her scream all muted, consumed by the song. Everything that came thereafter Tay had seen so many times, it had almost ceased to be a nightmare. He did not remember anything of his life before coming to the island of Gorn, but he understood that there was something different in his past that set him apart from his cousins. It wasn't simply that his parents were dead, his cousin Bainora's parents had also died in the war. Nor were the other housemen on Gorn or nearby Mournhold unusually cruel to him. They treated him with the same polite indifference that any Indoril has for every other eight-year-old boy that got underfoot. But somehow, with absolute certainty, Tay knew he was alone. Different, because of a song he always heard, and his nightmares. You're certainly imaginative, his aunt Yulia would smile patiently before waving him away so she could return to her scriptures and chores. Different? Everyone in the world thinks they're different. That's what makes it such a common sentiment, said his older cousin Kalkarith, who was studying to be a temple priest and had a firm grasp on paradoxes. If you tell anyone else that you keep hearing music when there's no music to be heard, they'll call you mad and bury you in the shrine of Sheogarath. His uncle Triffith would snarl before striding away to attend his business. Only his nursemaid, Edaba, would listen to him seriously and just nod with a faint look of pride, but she would never say another word. His cousin and chief playmate, Bainara, was by far the least interested in the stories of his song and his dreams. How tiresome you are with all this, Tay, said Bainara. After luncheon, the summer of his eighth year, he, she, and a younger cousin, Vaster, walked into a clearing in the midst of the flowering trees. The grass was very low, barely up to their ankles, and there were big black piles of leaves from the previous autumn. Now, shall we get back to it? What shall we play? Tay thought for a moment. We could play the Siege of Orsinium. What's that? asked Vaster, their constant companion, three years their junior. Orsinium was the home of the orcs, off in the Rothgarian Mountains. For hundreds of years, it kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. The orcs would come down out of the mountains and rape and pillage all over High Rock. And then, 
King Jolie of Daggerfall, and Gaiden Shinji of the Order of Diagna, and someone else, I forget, from Sentinel, all joined together against Orsinium. For thirty years they fought and fought. Orsinium had walls made out of iron, and try as they might, they couldn't break through. So what happened? asked Bainera. You're so good at making things up that never happened. Why don't you make it up? So they did. Tay was king of the orcs, perched up in a tree they called Orsinium. Bainera and Vaster played King Jolie and Gaiden Shinji, and they threw pebbles and sticks up at Tay while he taunted them in his most guttural voice. The three decided that the goddess Kinnereth, played by Bainera in a dual role, answered the prayers of Gaiden Shinji and drenched Orsinium in a torrent of rain. The walls rusted and dissolved. On cue, Tay obligingly fell out of the tree and let King Jolie and Gaiden Shinji mangle him with their enchanted blades. For most of that summer, the year 675 of the First Era, Tay was nearly insensible by the power of the sun. There were no clouds, but it rained most every night, so the vegetation on the island of Gorn was bewildering lush. The stones themselves seemed to glow with sunlight, and the ditches burned with white meadowsweet and parsley down. All around him were soft smells of flower and tree untroubled by wind. The foliage was purple-green, blue-green, ash-green, white-green. The wide cupolas, twisting cobbled streets, and thatched roofs of the little village of Gorn, and massive bleached rock of Sandal House were all magical to him. Yet the dreams that haunted his nights and the song continued whether he was awake or not. Against Aunt Yelaya's adonishments, Tay, Bainera, and Vaster had breakfast outdoors every morning with the servants. Yelaya would hold an interior breakfast for herself and any visiting dignitaries. Guests were rare, so she often ate alone. At first, the servants would dine in silence, attempting gentility, but they broke down and would regale the children with stories of gossip, reports, and rumors. Poor Arnel is laid up with a fever again. I'm telling you, they're cursed, the whole lot of them. Piss on the fairy, and they piss right back on you. Doesn't little Miss Starcia look, oh, just a wee bit tight around the belly region lately? She's not! The only servant who didn't speak at all was Tay's nursemaid, Ediba. She wasn't pretty like other maids, but the scars on her face did not deform her. Her poorly set broken nose and her short hair gave her a certain alien mystique. She would merely quietly smile at the gossip and look at Tay with almost frightening love and devotion. One day, after breakfast, Bainara whispered to Tay and Vaster, We have to go to the hills on the other side of the island. She had used such imperatives before and always had something wonderful to show. A waterfall tucked away behind ferns and tall rocks. A sunny grove of figs. A discreet still some peasants had set up. A sickly oak twisted into a kneeling human figure. A collapsed stone wall that they had imagined was thousands of years old. The last refuge of a doomed princess they named Morella. The three walked across the forest until they came to a clearing. A few hundred feet beyond, the meadow sank to a dry creek bed, filled with small, smooth stones. They followed that into the dark woods where trees canopied high over their heads. Sporadic red and yellow blossoms 
dispersed along the moist underbrush, but they became rarer and rarer as the children marched on under the umbrageous oaks and elms. The air crackled with birds ticking a staccato choral piece, a minor chord of the song. Where are we going? asked Tay. It's not where we're going, it's what we're going to see, replied Bainera. The forest surrounded the three children completely, bathed them in its tenebrous hues, and breathed on them with wet chirrups and sighs. It was easy for them to imagine that they were within a monster, walking along its twisted spine of stones. Bainera scrambled up the steep hill and peered through the thick mass of shrub and tree. Tay lifted Vaster out of the creek bed and climbed out, gripping soft grass for support. There was no path through the forest here. Brambles and low-hanging branches struck at them like claws of chained beasts. The cries of the birds became ever more stentorious, as if angered at the invasion. One limb drew blood on Vaster's cheek, but he didn't cry out. Even Bainera, who could pass like an ethereal creature through impenetrable forests, had a braid catch on a bramble, ruining the intricate pattern a servant had woven hours before. She paused to pull out the other braid, so her bright, unruly tresses fell freely behind her. Now she was something wild, a nymph guiding the other two through her woodland domain. The song began to beat like a wild pulse. They were on a shelf of stone below a cliff, overlooking a tremendous gorge, staring over an expanse of cinder. It looked like the scene of a tremendous battle, a holocaust of fire. Charred boxes, weaponry, animal bones, and detritus too annihilated to be identifiable littered the ground. Speechless, Tay and Vaster stepped into the black field. Bainera smiled, proud that she had finally found something of true wonder and mystery. What is this place? asked Vaster at last. I don't know, Bainera shrugged. I thought at first it was some kind of ruin, but now I think it's a junk pile. Just not like any junk pile I've ever seen. Just look at this stuff. The three began an unorganized survey of the dusty mounds of refuse. Bainera found a twisted sword, only lightly blackened by flame, and began polishing it to read the inscriptions on the blade. Vaster amused himself by breaking brittle boxes with his hands and feet, imagining himself a giant of unbelievable strength. A battered shield attracted Tay. There was something about it that reverberated with the sound of the song. He pulled it out and wiped its surface clean. I've seen that crest before, said Bainera, looking over Tay's shoulders. I think I have, but I don't remember, Tay whispered, trying to conjure the memory from his dreams. He was sure he had seen it there. Look at this, Vaster cried, interrupting Tay's thoughts. The boy was holding up a crystal orb. As his hand moved over the surface, brushing away grit and dust, a key in the song rose which sent shivers through Tay's entire body. Bainera ran over to look at Vaster's treasure, but Tay felt paralyzed. Where did you find that? She grasped gazing into the swirl beneath the crystal surface. Over in that wagon, Vaster gestured towards a heap of blackened wood, barely discernible from the other piles but for its cart spokes. 
Bainera began digging into the half-collapsed structure so only her feet could be seen. The song built in potency, sweeping over Tay. He began walking towards Vaster slowly. Give me that, he whispered in a voice he could barely recognize as his own. No, Vaster whispered back, his eyes locked on the colors reflecting in the heart of the globe. It's mine. Bainera dug through the remains of the wagon for several more minutes, but she could find no treasures like Vaster's. Most everything within was destroyed, and what remained was commonplace by any standards. Broken arrows, armor shards, gar bones. Frustrated, she pulled herself out into the sunlight. Tay was alone at the end of a great gorge. Where's Vaster? Tay blinked and then turned back to his cousin with a shrug and grin. He went back to show everyone his new plunder. Did you find anything interesting? Not really, said Bainera. We probably ought to get back home before Vaster tells them anything that'll get us into trouble. Tay and Bainera started the walk back at a quick pace. Tay knew Vaster would not be there when they got back. He would never be returning home again. The crystal globe rested snugly in Tay's satchel, hidden under a pile of junk he had picked up. With all his heart, he prayed for the song to return and drown out the memory of the gorge and the long, silent fall down. The boy had been so surprised, he hadn't even time to scream. I'm here. The gorge will know me by Miz, and so will you, said a voice inside Tay's head. You shall die as in the suffering slavery of Anne-Marie. Tay collapsed to the floor, unable to escape his uncontrolled terror. Or become a soldier, and you will become the most powerful yet the most hated mortal in Tamriel. After waking up a few moments after constant surroundings of the maids and Banareth, Tay knew that he would be part of the siege. Tay heard the fading voice with the last words. You are Miz. What is to come is his inevitable, yet unpredictable fate. Through madness, therefore his corruption slowly builds with the song.